Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to this week's episode of the Business Herald podcast. I'm joined this week by James Blacklaws of JB Commercial Finance and Mark Ford Coach. James, do you want to uh, introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Um, thanks very much for having me back on the podcast. Uh, my name is James Blacklaws and I've been in the business finance sector for my, virtually my whole working life, about 17 years, and continue to sort of um, keep people up to date with regard to what's going on. We've got the business finance and the outside business world. Thanks very much, James. And Mark, do you want to say something about yourself? I'm Mark Ford, a business coach, author and editor at Your Best Kept Business Secret, uh, helping you get the small business that your hard work deserves. been in the coaching industry for over six years. Uh, I am one of a rare breed that I actually started, ran and sold my own business, plus about 15 years in corporate life. So Pretty much, I've got a broad spectrum of experience in all aspects and walks of life of business. Thanks very much. First story that I'd like to talk about today, actually, there's, there's two stories that have come up this week um, about working from home. So, um, Bank of England uh, executive said that working from home stifles creativity, and he's encouraging everybody to get back into the office. And PwC today have said that they are not downsizing their offices um, at all. They're not cutting any office space. They're encouraging employees to get back into the office space. Um, and they say it, uh, it allows uh, better collaboration, learning and innovation if people are all in the same place together rather than working from home. Um, at the same time, James's previous employer, Lloyd's, said that uh, they're going to keep uh, 65,000 staff uh, working from home until at least the spring. So, I guess that's perhaps because it's not innovative in any way. James won't say any, any negative comments about them, no doubt. Um, the question is this, are we all fed up of working from home? Is it time to get back into the office? Um, is, is, you know, is office-based still the future? Is it collaborative, learning, innovative? Mark, thoughts? Um, I do believe that actually it cuts creativity um, because your mind can be sparked by... Uh, different conversations, different feelings, uh, and uh, different, um, yeah, just different situations, really, if, if I'm totally honest. Um, I think I think we're all kind of zoomed out <laughs> as, a, as a nation. Uh, it's, it's a great tool. It's a great gift. Um, but we are zoomed out. Uh, as human beings, we are naturally um, sociable beings. So by not having interaction with other humans is, is quite is quite difficult. And if people will say this is an interaction because we're doing this via Zoom. It's not real. It's not interaction. It, it, you know, the three of us are friends and actually it would feel very different if we were all sat around a pub table having a pint. It's as simple yeah. as that. Um, and obviously, the more beer we have, the more creative we get. But um, <laughs> when you start looking at things like that, it, it is interesting that in America, they're actually already looking at... Um, the architects are actually starting to design houses with workspaces in them 
because they are starting to view the fact that they think there's going to be a balance. And I genuinely think once this is all calmed down, I think there will be a balance. I think there will be an awful lot of office space up for grabs. Um, I'm not entirely certain why PwC should say that anybody should be more collaborative with them than with other people. I'm not entirely certain that PwC is probably the best company for that. Um, but there are companies out there that you could be more collaborative with. Uh, there will be some great ideas. But, you know, our lives are going to change. Um, you know, Stephen, you and I had this conversation about missing the the half hour or the hour commute wherever, because we could listen to the radio. Yeah. It was just our own, our own thoughts. You know, we could just get, we were away from the world in our own little cocoon of a car for an hour, which was great. Mm. And we're missing that. Um, but it makes sense that for a work-life balance, and I hate using that phrase because I don't really think there is such a thing as a work-life balance, um, that we will spend some time at home working from home. Um, and we will spend some time in the offices because it then causes another problem for management teams. Because how can you manage a team when they're at home? It's yeah. very, very difficult. It's far easier to manage a team when they're in an office and almost you can see what they're doing, whereas you can't see what they're doing. You know, people could be getting paid eight hours work. They've been incredibly unproductive up until now. They do four and a half hours work and then get paid for three and a half hours sat in the garden drinking gin, which is pretty much what a lot of people did during the summer. James, um, I, I know you've been in lockdown for, for other physical reasons as well, um, not going to the office. But um, do you think do you think if you were back in the bank, do you think you would be um, preferring to work in an office and having those teammates around you? Uh, or, or, you know, working from home is the future. I, th I think one thing we have to acknowledge that whether it's fully fledged or whether it's just a, a mix and match, that widespread working from home is here to stay. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I, I completely and utterly agree that if you are a company who builds home offices or extensions at the moment for offices or pop-up offices for people's hose, houses, then um, you are in a strong position because I think you're going to be rushed off your feet. So I think it's here to stay. I think we have to look at who's saying these things. The, ba the Bank of England and PwC both have a, a vested interest in keeping premises open. So they want that. The Bank of England want commercial property to be full, so it's keeping people employed and rates are getting paid. While Lloyd's, um, you mentioned the 65,000 staff have effectively been told to work from home for another minimum six months. Clearly, Lloyd's, um, like all high street banks, and I guess all retailers, are looking to cut costs, which include their high street branch network, of which there's a lot of office space taken up by people who can work from a laptop and from home. So I think there's a pretty bit of bias in both in both sides to this. But from a personal point of view, um, I've not found it. I found it tricky working from home because I like to talk to people. But I think if I was still in an employment like like the bank, I think I'd probably. I'd probably have got used to it by now. And I think that's that's the crux of the matter. We're now seven and a half months into lockdown. And a lot of people, certainly a lot of bank managers, et cetera, haven't been into the office in that time at all. And I think they've probably got used to it. And by the time spring rolls around, it'll be a year. And I suspect a lot of them will continue to work from home and continue to be told to work from home. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of almost um, Stockholm syndrome kicking in with people from home and that they actually won't want to do it anymore. They won't want to leave home anymore to go into an office. And um, I've, I think I think it's here to say, and I certainly 
you mentioned Lloyd's. I, I suspect that Lloyd's will use this as, as other banks, well as an excuse to continue to have staff working from home and, and decrease their their high street presence. So mm. I, I think it's it's just one of those things we're going to have to accept. Because the banks historically have got very large premises across the high uh, across the high street. They're very old buildings. Some of them are very beautiful buildings. Many of them, when they've been closed down, have then turned into bars or or restaurants and and and, and things like that. So I would say that the high street banks are already running at the fact that they look at some of the they may have like three or four floors in some of those premises, and probably two of them are only used. So they've already had a, an awful lot of wasted space. So yeah, I think James is right. I think it gives them a gives them more of an excuse to uh, to remove themselves from the high street a little bit more rapidly these, than they were. Whether it's banks or whether it's large insurance companies or mortgage brokers, they've generally got either high street presences or they've got um, large office units on industrial parks. And um, you're absolutely right. That certainly we're here in Leicester. The, the Lloyd's High Street in Leicester is one of the most beautiful buildings in the whole city. Yeah. But uh, as well as being beautiful and well-placed, it's also very expensive to lease. So therefore, any excuse to shut that um, and have everyone work from home, or at least, as you correctly say, shut a couple of floors of it, will be taken, I would imagine. I can see that being repeated all over the country as these, these large industrial units, they're, their offices there, they, their lease comes to an end. All of a sudden, those leases won't be renewed. So I, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of consolidation in workforces from service-based industries over the next two, three years. And I think it, I think it will then lead to opportunities. And obviously, this is down to planning and and changing uses of of, of premises. So I think the high street in general, uh, especially office space, will change significantly because a lot of these premises will be unused nobody will want to use them so then you're going to have landlords that have got properties that are just sat there empty not earning themselves any money so you could end up finding that some of these premises may be turned into restaurants maybe turned into bars but may also be turned into residential properties Mm. Um, and i think that's probably that's that's a, a golden opportunity for somebody if they've got a few quid at the moment is if they can bend the ear of their their local planners and start getting the change of these premises, you know, you could end up with really nice apartment blocks or you could end up with, yeah. you know, a set of flats, a set of apartments where used to, yeah, they used to be an insurance broker. I think it's an interesting one because um, I, I'm not sure I see city centres um, splats sprouting up in a high street. What, 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 what I see is something which we've seen a massive increase over the last five, six years. And that's the increase in the pop-up shop. Hmm. So, We've had, we've had a lot of shops where people have been in there for a, a season, be it Christmas, selling calendars or trees or something. Or we've seen shops go in there and take over just for you know, a couple of weeks even. And lenders traditionally have not liked lending against properties like that because they haven't got the certainty of repayments. But I, I think we have to accept that the days of 15-year commercial leases have probably come to an end because who, who the heck knows what's going to happen over the next 15 years? So I think people will use it as an idea to road test certain business ideas, which I can only encourage. You, you go to a commercial landlord who's used to renting the property out for, let's say, a thousand pound a month, and you say, "I'll give you two thousand pounds. Can I have it for six weeks and see and test an idea?" He might well turn around and say yes, because it's better than being sat empty. And then you take it from there. So I think there'll be a lot more short-term leases, 
and hopefully it will inspire the kind of entrepreneurship, which I know you've spoken about a lot, Mark, um, in people starting businesses, people trying out new ideas without having to go through the onerous process of signing up to a five year lease and all the conditions that come with that. Absolutely. Future idea for note, Air B2B. Instead of holiday accommodation, holiday lets, pop-up shops. Landlords go on there, list their list their shops that are available. Entrepreneurs come on and say, yeah, I'll take it for a two-week period. I'll take it for a month, etc." The Airbnb of shops. Yeah, the Airbnb of shops. It's a bit of an expansion of the sort of the WeWork idea, isn't it? Where you go and you have a desk for hours or days at a time. You can have a retail outlet and, t- and test run something with a, with a football. Why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned in there sort of, you know, the, that, that will help all these new starts. There's um, news this week said that 85,000 more additional companies were set up this year uh, on the whole, suggesting that there was a whole new batch of entrepreneurs and small business owners creating businesses to, to start. Could be offset potentially against uh, um, the business bounce back fraud, people just setting up companies in order to try and get some money. Um, but at least no. the figures seem really? to indicate that <laughs> seem to indicate that people are actually setting up some you know some companies, um, and and I hope at least that actually um, that they are small businesses um, doing it. And and Mark, do you think that that's right? Do you think that uh, an aspect, at least of not all of them, but some of those new companies will be new startups, people that have perhaps been made redundant and they're looking at making a new business? Um, they always say that recession is opportunity in a wolf's clothing. Um, and I do genuinely hope that some of those numbers are correct. Um, I think James will agree with me that um, there is, there has been a huge amount of fraud that's gone on with the bounce back loans. Um, a lot of the government things that they've put in place, there's been a massive amount of fraud. You know, even the go, you've even got the government sort of walking around with its hands in the air going, yeah, we realize we're not going to get billions of pounds back. They're already kind of admitting defeat in that respect. Um, I think that that number will increase again. Um, we're recording this on the 30th of October. So as of tomorrow, the furlough scheme officially finishes and uh, Rikishi sort of like um, his, his new loan scheme will whimper in it's probably the best way to to put it i actually fear a little bit and i'm not normally a pessimist because i'm quite you know positive when it comes to entrepreneurship i fear very much for small businesses at the present for the next six months because i think the people that will be made redundant after tomorrow will then swamp our market as well and there's going to be a massive race to the bottom um, there are people that have suddenly realized that this working from home lark seems to be quite easy and they can go and do this. And I'm very good at what I do. So I don't see why I can't do it from home or I don't see why I can't set this business up. Like an um, accidental business owner. Yeah. They, yeah. Literally. Yes, mate. You yeah. stealing my, stealing my thread there. Um, but yeah, they have become a, an accidental business owner and you know, they've never run a business, but they're very, very good at what they do. And so they set up a business ta-da, and now they need clients. And now they need customers and they know that that word recession has been banded around. So they're going to be people undercutting each other. Great for the consumer, I suppose. However, um, it's going to be dog eat dog. Yeah. Um, and so that figure there that, you know, I think that was only for September's, I think if I'm, if I'm correct, um, I think is is going to increase when it hits October. I can't see the same figures that hit January and February. I really can't. 
Um, there are jobs out there. People keep telling me that the job market is, is quite buoyant, believe it or not, um, but not necessarily for the skills that are coming out of furlough. And I know sort of earlier we were talking about, you know, low skilled workers and entry points into work as well. It's, it's going to be a, a bit of a mess and really anybody can set themselves up as a business at any point. You know, you can just write to company's house. I'd like to set this up. I'm a business. I'm suddenly in business and it's, it's not necessarily the case. So I don't wish to be pessimistic, but I am concerned for some really hardworking small businesses out there right now. Uh, I understand that. I, I guess you get some people that have perhaps been on, you know, minimum wage or close to minimum wage coming and going, well, okay, I'm unemployed. I'm going to start my business. And then actually only seeking 15 pounds an hour for their time and effort, not realizing that they probably need 30 just to be on an even keel after yeah. all of the cost and tax and liabilities and that kind of thing. They perhaps haven't thought that through, which means it's very difficult if you're trying to compete with that to be price competitive. Um, but of course, then you have so. your other advantages that you're ex you've got some experience, presumably, to bring to the, so you're offering something different um, yeah. to the table. I mean, sort of like, you know, you, you guys know that I regularly joke about my own industry. I mean, I'm bracing myself for a new plethora of business coaches that suddenly appear from absolutely nowhere because they've yeah. had seven months to sit and read a book um, and, you know, have now been made redundant from their business and go, Ta -da, I'm a business coach. Great. Thanks for that. And it's going to happen. And I know it's going to happen. There's going to be, you know, you go to networking events or online networking events and suddenly somebody will pop up. You know, I've been to one this week where, you know, somebody has been made redundant in the last two months and has set themselves up as a, a franchise business coach. Brilliant. Okay, so what experience do you bring? Well, I don't. Well, great, but I'll charge you 1500 quid for it. Ouch. Okay, so really? And that's going to happen an awful lot. So like I say, it's, yeah, if, if there is a race to the bottom, it's great for the consumer, but it's not so great for the businesses because you'll just end up paddling even harder just to stand still. I think it's one yeah. of those things you have to expect in a recessionary environment. I mean, yes, it's great that whether it was 80,000 companies have been set up, how many of these are actually innovative new companies who are going to bring ideas, employment, probably very few. A majority of them are probably um, people who are looking at side hustles or are doing exactly what we've just spoken about, which is set up a business with limited experience. And you mentioned business coaching, and while there'll, there'll inevitably be some people who fancy that, it's, it's, it's industries like um, graphic design, website design, marketing, who I kind of fear for a little bit. Because if you can set yourself up as a graphic designer using Canva as a tool, or you can set yourself up as you know by making your own websites on GoDaddy or whatever it is, and you can do that very, very cheap, and it's undercutting people who've got established good businesses and lots of experience. Um, and at a time when businesses are struggling, of course, they're looking to keep costs down. So therefore, you look for a cheaper option, which is why it's massively important to keep relationships strong. And it's massively important to, to hold your nerve and keep your pricing strong. And I know that this, this particular podcast is aimed at the SME owner. And if I could give one bit of advice to an SME owner at the moment who's worried about this kind of thing, it, it, is, it is to hold your nerve. It is to hold your nerve with regard to your pricing, your clients, your relationships, and your quality management. Because ultimately, those who come in and start charging £15 an hour for graphic design work, which would normally be £40 an hour, will either have to change their prices 
or their quality, which is low, won't be found out and they'll leave the marketplace. So there will be a lot of natural wastage following this. But I think it's naive to think that there won't be pressure on prices, certainly for service based businesses over the next year or two. Absolutely. It's a perfect storm. I wrote about it about uh, about a month and a half ago for the best kept business secret. And it is it's becoming a perfect storm. And we can't do anything about it. You can see it's coming. We just can't do anything about it. It's almost like we've just got to just walk into the center of the storm where it will just calm down a little bit and then come out the other side. You know, it's because this is, I hate using the phrase because it is, this is such an unprecedented time is that we all know that, you know, when the, when the economy is good, there's always going to be a recession. We know that it's, it's, it's as good as death and taxes. We know that's going to happen. But right about now, because we can't see an end to this and we can't even see a solution. That's the problem is that when you're in a recession, you can normally see a solution of some kind and it happens but right about now. None of us, not, you know, the Bank of England, the economists of the world, none of us can see a solution to it. And there's an awful lot of smoke and mirrors. You know, you just have to look at you know, America saying that we're going to have a great third quarter of business bouncing back. They also then forget that you've got 200,000 people that are dead. So <laughs> nearly a quarter of a million people dead. But do you know what? We've got a great third quarter of business. No, that's not the way this works. And so, you know, there's that trade off. We've never had this trade off in a recession before where it's a case of we're in recession. If we really push business and we really go for it, people will die. That, that's the that's the daft thing. It's it's a it's a perfect it's a horrible perfect storm that we're in right now. Well, I was talking about this this morning with someone else about the economic cycles because that's how exciting my life is, <laughs> and you, you can generally see it over well, the last hundred years, if not more, that the economy is is the classic boom and bust, and it generally happens every nine or ten years. Um, so we're pretty much due anyway. But I completely agree with you. And the difference this time round is, is the one word I would use, which is the absolute fear. The word that strikes fear into the heart of everyone to do with economics and money is uncertainty. Um, generally, with an economic cycle, you know things are going to be bad for a couple of years as we enter a recession. Um, but you also know that recessions generally last, a, you know, okay, technically speaking, they might only last sort of six months or so, but a, a downturn could normally last a year or two. Then the things start improving again because modifications are made, cutbacks are made, and the cycle goes on and on and on. This time round, with the world effectively being in lockdown probably for a year, 18 months by the time it starts to recover, this is completely new. And the uncertainty is the thing that drives the fear the most. So I think from a business point of view, you're absolutely right that there are going to be a massive amount of difficulty ahead. But the problem is that the lawmakers, the policymakers, and ultimately all of us, and making this up as we go along, because none of us have been through anything like this before. And most of us probably will never go through anything like this again, unless, well, let's hope not anyway, <laughs> unless something um, especially bad happens. So it is it is an unprecedented situation. It is a situation where we all have to think on our feet slightly, but it also sort of, to quote something which I know you talk about a bit, is it's, it's survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. And if you are a business owner, again, my advice would be, don't sit back and wait for Boris to come and tickle your belly because it's not going to happen. If you've got bills to pay and you've got a business to run, you need to find a way to make it work because sitting and complaining isn't going to change anything, I'm afraid. Very true. No, I, I, actual fact, to kind of contrary the recession, I've, I've spoken to a number of people 
uh, over the last couple of months, maybe less than a couple of months, um, that have said that, that they have never had as much cash in the bank um, and have not done as well as they, as they can remember. And that's mm. because, you know, of their special type of business that they're in, but they're just taking the opportunity. And then they've got you know, the government support. They've got rate relief. You know, they've got um, actually people spending money when they're coming into the shops or the, their, their outlet or whatever they're doing. And so actually there are some businesses that are still still thriving and, um, and doing really well from it. Um, interesting story that, uh, that came up next, um, obviously the UK retailer, have said that they're not going to be doing the Black Friday sales this year. <clears throat> so they said uh, that they are, they're already too busy uh, and, and kind of at capacity with online sales um, that they don't need to discount and, and replace their full price sales with discounted sales. But Black Friday, um, amazing statistic. Black Friday in the UK already um, amounts to just over 20% of all of UK online sales in one day for Black Friday. And, and next they've said, you know, look, we're, we're not, uh, we're not in it. Um, Mark, do you think that there'll be a lot of businesses that will go, no, we're, we don't need Black Friday, we're out because we're already busy enough with online sales? Um, or is it something that actually for, you know, most people, particularly online, online businesses, you're an online retailer, that you've just got to do it because everyone else is doing it? In a one-word answer, no. Um, <laughs> um, I, th- I don't think people are that forward-thinking. I think um, I, I've, I've encouraged uh, some of the businesses that I've spoken to. I've encouraged some of the smaller businesses that have got an online presence uh, or even a high street presence to actually space out their Black Friday deals across the month of November um, right. because yeah, it keeps people's interest. Um, it will spark it. Um, there is a risk that they may lose out, but there's a, there's the same risk if it will pilot into one day anyway, because it suddenly becomes a bit like social media, where you're very much like stood at the front of a, a hundred people with a loud hailer going "Buy from me, buy from me." At least if you spread it out across four or five weeks of November, that at least you've got more of a chance of catching somebody's attention rather than just relying on one, two, maybe three days. Um, I think the big retailers will a majority of them will carry on. Well done, Next, for, for not doing it. Um, again, buying habits have changed over the years. Um, you're probably right that 20% of, of uh, a, a lot of Christmas sort of like stuff, well, of sales is, is done on Black Friday. What would be very interesting to see, uh, and I've been looking for it recently and I can't actually find it, is our buying habits through the month of December because I think Black Friday has always kind of bled, has, has kind of taken that, has almost like taken the, the Christmas spend away from December and slung it into November. And then shoppers and customers have got savvier and have waited till about two weeks before Christmas and have then bought another splurge again because retailers are getting twitchy. And they start reducing the prices of that of the their Christmas stock, all those particular lines, or even some of the sales stock. You, if you go back ten years, if actually we go back eleven years now. So when I was at ASDA, you go back eleven years. I remember us setting up the Christmas, uh, the New Year sale on Boxing Day 
and I used uh, the day before uh, on Christmas Eve. Sorry, so it was ready when we opened on Boxing Day that people could buy from that. And I joked eleven years ago that it was too early. Well, now some of that January sale, there is no such thing as a January sale anymore. Mm. It's now middle of December because of the amount of units or the products that, that they're bought. And you've also got to then consider that actually some of the bigger retailers actually deliberately buy products and deliberately buy lines that they can put into the sale anyway. They wouldn't normally stock them, but they buy them, put them at a higher price, and then, oh, this is a sale item. Well, it was never a sale item. Yeah, yeah It's just that they put it in a shop for four weeks at a higher price. That's all they've ever done. So it would be quite interesting to see what those figures are in December, but I don't think the, the big retailers are, are going to change their change anything i think some of them are some of the big retailers are still built on pillars of sand and i think they'll want as much cash coming in as possible um because when we get to after christmas normally is the next round of this is how many shops we're shutting or this is who's going into a cva or this is who's gone bust and so they'll look at something like black friday as a way of getting a cash injection to keep them going if nothing else. So well done next for not running with it. Small businesses, I would suggest trying to spread it across the whole of November, maybe into December, just to keep interest and something different going. But I just don't see a massive change this year. Yeah, James, we normally say, don't we, um, to businesses that discounting's not the best of ideas. We don't try and you know encourage people to discount, but Black Friday being such a big event and everybody is expecting it, it's just a, a thing that happens, isn't it? Well, from a personal point of view, I'd be quite happy to get rid of what I see as a kind of grotesque American thing, to be honest, um, and an excuse to pound retailers. And you, you see certain products, high-profile products in the sale in Black Friday, whether it's a PlayStation or an iPad or whatever it may be. And all it means is that independent retailers have got very little chance of actually competing because the discounts offered on these sales is effectively their margin usually. So it's, it is very difficult. I'm not a massive fan of the rush for Black Friday. And like Mark, I'd much rather it was spread over a consistent period of time rather than everything on one day. But we have to appreciate we are in a consumer-driven, commercialised world. And Black Friday is a massive event, which generates a massive amount of revenue. And 20% is mentioned um, of the annual online store um, shopping is done in one day. That's an astonishing amount. And I can't see it changing unless a considerable number of retailers actually move away from it altogether. So good for next. And obviously a local um, company around here. It'd be great to see more follow suit. And quite often where one leads, others to follow. So let's wait and see. But also I want to pick up on the point Mark made about um, um this being a bit of a, a cash bonus or cash injection for companies. And that's absolutely right. And we do see it after Christmas. We see it in April and we see it at the end of every quarter when the month's rent is due for, sorry, the quarter's rent is due for, for retailers. Um, a couple of them won't go bust. So the injection they get from Black Friday and then from Christmas generally covers the rent payment, which is during the first month, sorry, the first week of January to at least get them through another quarter. Will we see a lot more going bust in that time? Yeah, I dare say there'll be a bit of bloodshed at that time after Christmas once um, the, the results are in and they probably won't be hugely favourable. But from a Black Friday point of view, we all like to see the back of it. 
Yes, I would. Are we likely to? Absolutely not. Bar humbug. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas to everyone. Yeah, Absolutely. Let's hope you find a piece of coal at the bottom of your stocking. (laughs) Absolutely. Mark, I think you wanted to talk about the hospitality industry. Well, here's a stat for you. Here's a stat for you. When you're talking about if something at hospitality comes up again, James, is that um, I follow the John Taffer podcast. John John Taffer does uh, Bar Rescue. And he sort of like said that statistically, there are several sources that are, are quoting this, that by the end of this year... 50% 50% of all restaurants and bars in New York will be closed. In New York. In New York. Busiest city in the world. That is scary. Mm. That is scary. All sort of like restaurants, cafe stuff, It's 50% will be shut. That's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's all, it's all those jobs, isn't it? It's all those entry-level jobs. Ooh. That's that's where I think a lot of the big problem is. You've got people, and I'm not, it's not being disrespectful, but I mean, Pizza Express have just said they're sacking 1,100 people. I bet, I bet virtually 90% of them are minimum wage, mm. and those those guys are now left the job at 21 years old, and it's like, well, what do I do now? I know I wanted to work here, I wanted to build up to middle management here, get you know whatever it is, supervisor can't sacked, and the call centre is shutting. It's call, you know, it's minimum wage people on on bonuses and th- this is the issue it's, it's not yeah. that necessarily the skilled labor i mean you know i, I doubt whether many solicitors or bankers are going to lose their jobs to be honest nope. in the great scheme of things it's that it's that the entry level stuff the pubs restaurants retailers yeah but yeah. you know they, they need you know, those jobs need to be about gap have actually come up with something that's really quite interesting is some of the stores they want to close or wanted to close they're going to turn them into a franchise model. Yeah, that's it's a really really interesting. I think it's a really interesting model to pursue. So someone like Pizza Express is a good example. In the same vein, McDonald's is a franchise. So you buy the franchise, yeah. you get the premises, etc. Actually, what as Pizza Express? Well, actually, is it worth considering rather than closing them, selling them as a franchise, and then seeing if you know, an entrepreneur can take the Pizza Express model and grow it. It's a very difficult one when you franchise something like that. Because I've been I've been involved in this with other businesses, notably Subway, because Subway had an explosion in Leicester about like, 15 years ago, I guess. When I was involved in quite a lot, I used to be sort of the franchise development manager for the East Midlands, Lloyd's. And it, it is difficult because... You're told when you buy it, you can run your own business, you can do this, do this, do this. But then they get incredibly protective about their brand. I mean, yeah. Steve, you've got a lot of experience, obviously, dealing with this sort of stuff. And, you know, it's it's almost, they almost say, you can do all this, you run your own business, but actually, we're going to really keep you on a tight leash. So it, it's a difficult one. Um but then you look at you look at McDonald's and it's the most it is it, because it's done properly. So it is the most yeah. successful franchise. But do you know how much money you need to get a McDonald's franchise, mate? It's, well, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. There is there is that. But again, it's down to procedures. It's down to process, isn't it? Apart yeah. from that, everything else is pretty much yeah in your hands. But providing that actually you're doing that, and actually it could be a case of you know when it comes boils down to local marketing. Uh, you know, franchises like McDonald's have a lot more say in their local marketing than 
a lot of you know Subway do as a, as a good example. They just don't. But Subway Subway cocked up franchising yeah. in this country. They they went way 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 too aggressive. McDonald's are incredibly um, picky. You know, they get a McDonald's franchise. Not only do you have to buy the franchise and the fees half a million quid, you need to prove you've got a million pounds in liquid funds in your bank account. Yeah. Not just no, not just in assets. You've actually got a million quid in cash sat there. It, it is an amazing. But on the other hand, you're guaranteed to make two hundred grand a year profit because yeah. they do every single year, no matter where you are. Yeah. Or Subway. Subway made the mistake, and as soon as you had one Subway franchise and you were doing okay, they encouraged you to open more and more and more. There was a guy in Leicester, he had, I think he had 18 franchises in Leicestershire. And you had ones like three doors down from not quite exaggerating somewhat, but not far off in Leicester City Centre. I think there were 15 of them. And you know, how many do you need in one city centre? Exactly. I think there's only it's only about five of them left now. I'm not bloody surprised. I guess the question is, if you're if you're in a Pizza Express that's looking at closing, you're in a gap, and you're a you know you're the store manager, it, or is the franchise or the, the you know the Pizza Expresses are they going to make that franchise um, the the ability to buy it easy enough for that manager to go? Okay, well, I'll take a punt on that. Yeah, because otherwise you're looking at someone with like like James says, you know McDonald's. You need a, a hell of a lot of money to, to no, you're to right. Buy it. They but always again, need to though, say, here's it all free. You can pay us back in a year's time when you've started to make a bit of money. Yeah. Something like that. That would really work. That would keep the jobs going. That would keep you yeah. know that, that team of people together, all those young people that you're talking about, James. And, and, and you'd actually, somebody could take a punt on it. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, definitely worth, it's definitely a model that's worth looking at rather than mm-hmm. what they're doing at the moment, which is just trying to bin. You know, it's, it's basically like, you, you know, you've hit the iceberg and what they're doing is they're throwing the women and the children over, and now they're going, what have we got left? Yeah, you know? basically. That's all they're doing, because Pizza Express have been in trouble for about 18, 18 months, two years, but it goes to show you that the big companies are really slow to react. And I think the most the most forward-thinking one so far was Gap, where they're just going, do we actually need retail stores? Well, yeah, we do, but actually they're all relatively profitable. We're not sure what the path is going to look like in the next five years, why don't we turn them into franchises? Why? And it's a great way, as far as I can see, of bringing amazing new blood into a system that is top-heavy and is normally run by managing directors that have been there for God knows how long and have been shifted from one company to another because they failed at that one and then they know someone, so they've gone to the, they've become a director of this one and that starts failing, so they'll move on to another one. It's like Debenhams and DNA and Toys R Us. Well, it's the same old thing. It's the big boys network, isn't it? I think, I think my concern um, would be, as a, as a brand, um, my concern would be this, that as a, take New Look, for instance, when it goes bust, and it does often, um, it, it goes into a CVA or something like that, but then it comes out and it's still New Look and, and you know, we're almost kind of unaffected. Whereas if you've got um, smaller shops that don't have that ability to fund get or get funding for it when they're, when they're in difficulty um, or, you know, actually go through that process of kind of a CBA. Actually, they're just going to go bust. Might that affect your brand having all these little shops up and That's down the, the country thing. kind of going, going it bust? Do. It might well be. I saw it recently. There was a, um, it's, this is, this is niche, but you'll see where, 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 when my interests sit, there was a, um, there's a, a patisserie shop. He's a world-class leading um, patisserie um, maker called Dominic Ansel, um, based in New York originally, I think. And he's opened up all these shops and he had a couple in London and 
fantastic. You know, if you want to go and spend six quid on a cake, they're the best cakes you ever had. And um, and then it closed over over the lockdown, uh, literally sort of, you know, April time. They said, you know, they're closing the shop. And um, from what I can work out, they were licensees. That's the term that they used, not franchisees. They were licensees. They were licensing the brand and the recipes, presumably, to, to replicate it. And they just didn't have the financial support to be able to ride the, ride the storm. And all of a sudden, now you've got the two, two of his brand-named shops closing, and that's going to reflect badly on him as, a, as an overall brand. So I think you'd probably have to be careful with something like that. Gap, um, big enough to be able to do it. Their, their, their model was basically, well, we're going to go online, and if someone wants to run a, a physical retail store, then we can do that on a franchise-type basis. Hmm. I can kind of get it gives you some options, doesn't it? It allows somebody that's going to take take a punt on it to to run it. In the same way that it would do a pub landlord, it would be, you know, it's sort of like you want it, you want to run your own bar uh that does food and stuff like that. Well, go and work for Everards, hmm. go and work for Marston's or Green King, and you can have yeah. your own pub. So in a in a very similar way, it's still their brand, it's still a name. But, you know, there is some support. And effectively, if you look at a lot of the pub managers, and they are managers, or even the landlords, they pay Everard's X amount of rent every month. They pay Everard's X amount of money for their beer and stuff like that. And there was a story a couple of weeks ago where Heineken got done because Heineken were squeezing a lot of their own franchisees in this is all you can have. So if it was like Strombo dark fruit, because if Heineken didn't do it, you weren't getting it tough. What they would do is they'd go and send their own stuff in and they would go, no, 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 hang on. No, the customers want this. No, we only serve you that. So they got, they got fined about, I don't know, 20 million, something like that. That's, that's been the problem like with, you know, with breweries for yonks though, isn't it? You know, that's why so many, anyone who's in a, in a brewery, they want to have a free house because you can actually pick what's profitable and what's good. Yeah, absolutely. But they still have their procedures and they still have the way they do the banking. They still have the way they clean the lines and all the training, yeah. stuff like that. So it, if, if anything, retail doing it actually wouldn't be a bad thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the, frame, the framework of the model is kind of there. It would be the it would be our friend terms and conditions and it would be, you know, the get out clauses and, and, and the finer detail that, you know, it could save retail. It could well do. It. I don't know. But it could mm-hmm. certainly could save it could save some of the larger restaurant chains if they were if they were smart enough. If they, you know, what what is stopping you? Um, let's take O'Neill's as a really good example, right? So, say O'Neill's was next to Pizza Express, right? What would stop you? What would stop you having Pizza Express at O'Neill's? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing at all. Well, it, it'd, be, it'd be the corporate nonsense, wouldn't it? That's the whole point. Yeah, in the same way that if we went to, you know, we go to East Midlands Airport and there's a Weatherspoons in there. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not owned by East Midlands Airport, but there's a Weatherspoons in there. Mm. Does, does that kind of make sort of some sort of sense? A bit like a department store. Yeah, they're, they're subsidiary thingies, concessions, that's the way Absolutely. There's the nothing concession. stopping them from doing that. And a lot of, and certainly I know O'Neill's are actually going to take out. Uh, they get, their menu is going take out in, I think it's in the next seven days, I think. It will appear on Just Eat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, again, some of the big national chains are starting to do that, although it's the same old, same old. But, again, there's, you know, you look at Weatherspoons, they do their own pizzas. Well, what's stopping O'Neill's from having Pizza Express pizzas there? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Mm. Mm. I think you're right. 
And uh, I think we've just saved the future of the high street. So thanks very much for listening to the Business Herald podcast. Thank you to Mark and James for joining me this week on the Business Herald podcast. If you have enjoyed the podcast, it'd be brilliant if you could subscribe, share it with your friends, share it on social media and leave a review. And we'll see you this time next week, same place. And if you visit our website at www.businessherald.co.uk, you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, which comes out to your inbox at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. You need to read all of the week's headlines, including ones we've not talked about. So thanks very much and see you next week. Um, guys, was there any uh, any stories that piqued your interest that caught your attention this week that you wanted to point out? I surprised you with that one, didn't I? Yeah, you, you did a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>